this this show came as a recommendation it needed to come with a warning hi everybody welcome back to millwood and micah discovering avatar season two my name is amanda millwood and i'm a screenwriter actor director and a fan of legend of korra and my name's Todd Micah. I'm the author of the Grimguard book series, and I had never watched Legend of Korra until now. We've been going through, like we did in our very first season of Discovering Avatar, we're going through the series two episodes at a time, uh, and today's episode brings us to episode three, The Revelation. Uh, the Revelation is written by Michael Dante DiMartino and Brian Canesco. Um, I just, I don't know if we talked about this in the first episode. Do they write like every single episode of season one here? Cause like, I'm just curious. I'm pretty sure that they do. Um, I have to check my notes, but I'm pretty sure that for the, at least for the first season of, of Legend of Korra, they do write every episode. <laughs> they had a very, very strong hand over the first season. Well, and given the fact that you've already talked about how uh, Legend of Korra was assumed to be just a one-season, kind of a one-off sequel, it would make sense that they would have a really strong, you know, like you said, a firm hand on every single episode, because they only thought they were going to have one mm -hmm. season to do it with. So Exactly. Um, the episode is directed by Joaquin Dos Santos and Ki Hyun Ryu, mm -hmm. um, same uh, directors as last time. Uh, animated beautifully, of course, by Studio Mirror. And the episode aired on April 21st, 2012. The IMDb rating of The Revelation is an impressive 8.2 out of 10. Take us away with those fun facts. All right. So the Revelation flyers contain the secret location of Amon's rally was inspired by Brian Konietzko's participation in rave culture while at university. <laughs> now, I don't wow wild child brian <laughs> yeah i don't know i, I can kind of guess but i don't really know what rave culture is can you explain that to me <laughs> yeah so um i can uh i plead the fifth on any questions about how i know um but yeah so rave culture in a nutshell is underground party culture and you would read the news about where your party was going to take place by passing flyers around to people sometimes very discreetly passing them around to people you know hey we're gonna have a party at this place uh, oh gosh you know tell only who shouldn't people who should know um yeah wow and i can neither <laughs> confirm nor deny if i have ever participated but i've heard some amazing stories from people oh i'm sure <laughs> of course not yeah, no, I, I did not have a typical university experience, so I did not get to experience rave culture. I'm kind of glad because it sounds really scary and sketchy. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm just not a party. Animal. I have heard that it is, in fact, very sketchy. <laughs> God. All right, moving on. Um, so my second fun fact is that originally Hasuk, now for those of you that remember, Hasuk was the waterbender that that Korra basically replaced on the Fire Ferret team. He was only in like one episode and then right. we never saw him again. Um, so originally Hasuk was going was going to be the one that was captured by Amon's henchmen and the gang were going to go after him. However, he was later replaced in the story by Bolin. Absolutely the right choice. Um, I don't know why they thought originally that they should take this no 
no name. I mean, he has a name, but like this just random character that we've seen once and make it like he's a kidnapped victim and like the gang has to save him. Like, no, I think it was a smart idea. Yeah, like, to why make would we care? In. Right. It's like, who is this guy? Um, <laughs> you probably wouldn't even remember unless you've seen the show like a million times, like I have. Um, but uh, yeah, so I'm glad that they made Has- that change. Hasuk. More like Forsuk, am I right? Forsuk. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, uh, and then our. Th- <laughs> that wasn't even funny. <laughs> Uh, and then our third fun fact <laughs> he's still laughing our third fun fact is that there were originally plans to have a foaming mouth girl at the rally but the plan was scrapped at, at the bleh, as the creators felt they undermined the creepiness of the event so I'm sure you remember from the Warriors of Kyoshi episode the foaming famous foaming mouth guy that freaks out when Aang and the gang arrive at Kyoshi mm-hmm. Island and they wanted to do that, but make it a girl and have it at a mall rally, basically. And I'm like, that would have been a very funny callback, but I don't think it would have worked with the tone that they were setting. Like, it definitely would have undercut the creepiness. Yeah. Um, but uh, so I'm glad that that was scrapped. But it is a funny idea. Um, I just want to see now, like, someone using Photoshop to cut out the foaming mouth guy and just put him in the rally. <laughs> like, just, it would be so funny. <laughs> that would be great. Um, Yes. And then our fourth and final fun fact for this episode is that Korra and Mako's bickering and tension throughout the episode deliberately harkened back to the romantic relationship depicted in 1940s era films, namely the one starring uh, Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall. So, or Bashal? Bacall? I'm sorry. Yes. Yes. So, Bacall. Okay. Yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I. That one doesn't really, I mean, it does kind of a little bit apply to this episode, the revelation, but it really applies to episode mm-hmm. five, where we really get into the meat. I was about to say, <laughs> yeah. it really, really does. Yeah. The, I, and, I, and I like that. I liked also how, um, and I, I don't know if it's a part of every episode, because when I was jumping from four to five, I skipped the whole intro. They did like this kind of old fashioned film, like recap. Mm-hmm. Did they only do that after four or, or uh, before episode? I'm, I'm mixing my episode numbers. <laughs> they do it between episodes two and three, which is where I saw it, but I skipped uh-huh. when I was going from three to four. So, do they do it after every episode? Yeah, it's basically the, the previously like, old on movie fl- recap. Yeah, it's basically this this show's version of previously on Avatar. Um, but instead it's like an old radio oh. recap. Yeah, to kind of fit the twenties aesthetic they're yeah, going yeah. for. Yeah, and you know, you gotta have the guy talking like this and <laughs> and the narrator. I know. I, it reminded me a little bit of Clone Wars. It reminded me a little of the Clone Wars yep. uh narrator actually. Yep, exactly. He's <laughs> very similar. Yeah, remind me of the same thing. But I but I really did enjoy that actually to to linger for a moment on this last uh, fun fact. I liked that you know the the bickering and the tension. You know, it also kind of had a bit of the um, uh, Han Solo and Princess Leia sort of bickering, mm-hmm. which you could imagine that you know they were also kind of harking back to um, right. in Star Wars. Uh, George Lucas, of course, being a big fan of you know of of film and older stuff like Flash Gordon and some really really vintage 
uh, for his era, some really vintage stuff. Um, and I can't help but believe that a lot of 40s era films like this uh, would have been outside of Lucas's wheelhouse and in inspiring the bickering, tense relationship between Han and Leia. Mm-hmm. And in a similar way, we're seeing that with Korra and Mako with their their funny bickering and banter. I love it. Absolutely. And it seems like such a missed opportunity now that I think about it, because it is very similar to Han and Leia in uh, Empire Strikes Back. Um, but... You know, Mako mm-hmm. and Bolin are technically homeless, like they're children of the streets. And it would have been the easiest thing for him or for someone like Cora or somebody to say, y'all are kind of scruffy looking like it just would have been right. That would have been great. Like, it's right there. <laughs> right. Just somebody say it, please. Uh, we were on the edge of greatness. We were this we were close. close. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so that's all the fun facts that we have. So what are your thoughts on episode three, the revelation? Um, that Mako is just dreamy. So. Oh my God. <laughs> that's your biggest takeaway. <laughs> I love that for you. <laughs> I've got to lead off with that because this, this whole episode of our podcast is going to be one long Mako thirst trap. I'm just warning you right now. Oh my God. Like the thirst for Mako is this, the thirst for Mako is so bad. I, I, I am a mostly heterosexual man. And I can tell you right now that <laughs> I love Mako. He's, oh my God. He's so. Uh, it just—I <laughs> literally because like it's I could very not, frustrating. I could not be more opposite. <laughs> like I, I think it's so <laughs> funny that you're like, oh my god, he's so dreamy. I'm like, uh, him. <laughs> just discount Zuko. Yeah, like, he has on. yet to be. <laughs> well, you know what, like. Zuko had some really bad, like, red flag toxic habits <laughs> that makes him, like, he's hot, but he's hot, but technically undateable. But Mako? Mako, you can take him home to your parents. You know, he'll still bring you back to the porch front porch an hour late, but you can bring him back to meet your parents. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know? He's a bad boy with no teeth, which is why it's like, then why even bother? <laughs> <laughs> but it's perfect it's perfect he can be the bad boy and he won't leave you with generational trauma he's perfect right. he's perfect. so perfect oh my gosh oh, uh, and he has amazing hair he has amazing <laughs> hair maybe i'm just jealous of the hair i could right. be jealous of the hair it could be that <laughs> oh my god i don't know though guys with good hair really do get me though i mean adam driver ewan mcgregor <laughs> right. like all the Star Wars men everywhere. He does have great <laughs> hair. Yeah, yeah. If he has good hair, you know, it's a danger. It's a danger. But I do like <laughs> Mako. Okay, like on the most serious note, though, I do like him because um, I feel like the story needs him. The, mm-hmm. the cavalcade of characters that we have for the moment, the core group, our, our new gang, it needs him. Because Korra isn't edgy she is just she has an edge she just has a chip on her shoulder on, in some levels but like mako's is kind of an artificial it's just part of his aesthetic to have a chip on her shoulder cora like actually has a bad attitude at times whereas mako's he's just kind of being that way he you know it's his persona mm-hmm. and then you have uh Bolin, and he's just he's just really really nice and wholesome and you know but you need somebody with a little bit of that of that edge to his his aesthetic but who's genuinely good-hearted and 
he, it's not as if he needs fixing. You know, Korra is edgy and, and, and hot-headed and everything, and it's a case for character development. Like, she needs to grow beyond it. Mm-hmm. For Maku, it's clearly just a phase he's going through. You don't need to fix him. Just wait two or three years, and you know he'll have a he'll have a white collar job, and he'll be he'll be dating a nice girl, and he'll stop wearing band t shirts on weekdays. <laughs> you know exactly. Yeah, no, I and as much shit as I'm I've, as I've talked about Mako, I actually like him more than the average Korra fan. Like he definitely has his moments where I'm like, you're a terrible character. But for the most part, I actually you like Korra. You like the you like the show. You like Legend of Korra more than the average <laughs> Legend of Korra fan. Literally, no, it's true. Um, and maybe it's just because I play devil's advocate. But um, <clears throat> I think that the thing that I like most about Mako is that he actually is a very cool headed character, um, which like, like you were saying, kind of contrasts nicely with Korra and how, you know, hot headed and just like, you know, as I said in the last episode, punch first, ask questions, never. Um, Whereas he, you know, he's got a very Mm -hmm. cool head and he tries to figure things out and like logically like assess situations instead of just like running in head first like Korra mm-hmm. would. And I like that because, you know, and it makes sense for where he ends up at the end of the series, you know, the the kind of path that they put him on. Um, and so I do like that about him. Um, and I just think he's actually a really good firebender. Like, you know, people, they like to hate on him because of his character, but they don't realize that he's actually like one of the most powerful firebenders in both Avatar and Legend of Korra, um, which you'll see you know, later on. But, uh, so I like that. I like yeah. characters that are competent and powerful and like, you know, those are the things I like about him. The relationship mm-hmm. stuff, not at all. Uh, but we'll talk about that in the next podcast episode. Um, <laughs> but I do, I do like yes. him more than the average fan. So, you know, I, we'll just say that. <laughs> yeah. The, the episode as a whole, cause I, now I'm going to jump past my, my little Mako, you know. I feel like mm-hmm. every episode is going to start out with me just thirsting for <laughs> Mako a little bit. Uh, I, I need my five minutes at the start of every episode, okay? <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, I'm, yeah. I think I was on screen and I'm like, lay me out, Hotman. But the episode itself is also just a real nail-biter because the the episode first of all bolin is like instantly in trouble immediately in trouble he's there doing his little monkey ferret thing whatever it is uh act and then he gets roped in instantly mm. by his friend and in hindsight i just have to ask his friend gave him all this money for yeah. a protection thing and then the guy gets kidnapped i assume that's how he lost the money because they all got kidnapped when the, that guy the uh, lightning bolt, whatever his name is, got brought in by Amon's thugs. That's where he lost the money, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He should have kept it in his other pocket. That's all yes. I'm saying. He shouldn't have brought the money with him. <laughs> right. It's the dangers of carrying cash, you know? That's why I don't do it. <laughs> you should have had them just write him a check. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> But so Bolin is instantly in trouble, and then they have to go. They have to go save him, and it's 
you know, they get sucked into in, you know, a wonderful fashion of expanding the story beyond the individual level and out to the larger story. They, they get sucked into the whole revelation thing about what's going on. And it's a great segue where they find the guy with the flyers and they figure out really quickly from the flyers the whole trick of the map on the back. And I like that they don't linger a long time on like really, really trivial stuff and make a bigger deal about it than it is. Like you collect all four flyers from the back of the cereal box and you put them all together and it gives you the location. Like it's perfect. It's a great segue into it. And Amon as a villain finally gets his chance to come back now since his little tiny appearance at the end of episode one. Mm-hmm. Amon Amon does not disappoint. The man doesn't do anything halfway. Mm-hmm. Like wow, yeah. the dude is scary. <laughs> I know. Like this is gonna be my fangirling moment because you had yours with Mako, but this is my moment because literally Amon is my favorite character in Legend of Korra, and my favorite villain in all of Avatar right up there with Azula. He, I don't want to give anything away, obviously, but just, oh my God, when I first saw this episode and the next episode, um, you know, back to back, I was shook it. <laughs> like, I was terrified. I was- <laughs> With good reason. Yeah, I was terrified. I was intrigued. I wanted to know like who he was what his like whole shtick was how he was doing what he was doing like i was so hooked on this one character so much that like it drove me watching the rest of the season like that was what i was watching the season for it was so like you know you know me with my villain obsession um and yeah this guy is like top tier villain in my opinion um and like i'm curious since we're talking about it do you have any theories because we're introduced to this character and he is has the ability to take away Bender's bending which previously has only been shown that the avatar can do that and this guy is a non-bender mm-hmm. so like in his story is is that the spirits gave him the gift to be able to take away bending just like how the lion turtle bestowed it upon Aang um but I mean, yeah. I think we all know that that's. Oh yeah, not no, true. I've, I've already got it. I've already got a theory. Yeah, okay. yeah. No, we know he's all full of BS. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, <laughs> um, my pet theory at the moment, after seeing this episode, is, well, if the only person that could do it was Aang. Well, this guy is probably a descendant of Aang's in some way, shape, or form, because it would make sense that he would inherit it that way um so that's my instant thought about it because if the guy if the guy can bend then he's not a non-bender so like you know okay magneto like i don't know what this guy's after but he's got (laughs) some sort of agenda and you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and i can fully understand for your part then your uh yeah (laughs) you fully understand your intrigue with the whole masked man christine die um but (laughs) you know i'm sure that there's you know he's got a tragic backstory he's got to let you know my face was burned off and they killed my family and now i have to wear this mask every single day and that's all you're gonna hear about me as i tell this whole story in my gorgeous gorgeous voice yeah and that's his that's his draw right there and he's a man on a mission and what Mm -hmm. woman does like a man who has his purpose in life fully crystal clear exactly and like the thing is everything he's saying 
is not wrong. He's totally right. Like the, the line that always gets me and I'm like, a hun- no, no, listen, listen. <laughs> I'm a hundred percent on his side when he says this line. <laughs> just, just, just you, you, just you in the ladies' room bathroom with lipstick. Aman was right, right down here. Just... <laughs> it just gave me vibes of hold on, hold on. Her sister was a witch. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> Aman was she right. Came down in a bubble, <laughs> literally. Oh my god. Um. So I'm gonna get all heated about this because Aman was right. And the line that always gets me is the line where he's like talking to the audience and he says, you know, bending has been the cause of every war in every era. And I'm like, fucking preach it, man. You are 100% right. Right. (laughs) Like, I love bending, but man, y'all, y'all have fucked up the non-benders bad. Like there's, I'm amazed that this hasn't happened before, like this sort of uprising because technically non-benders are not the minority. They are the majority but because benders are so powerful, you know, it's like the 1% versus the 99%. Um, and I'm sure there's like undertones of that, but, you know, just looking at it as it is it's like, yeah, no, like I'm amazed that this kind of revelation or revolution hasn't happened like before, especially during the hundred year war. Like <laughs> it's amazing that it took this long. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I guess it's because technology. The whole now... thing really gave me the vibes of, you know, you want to hear the tragedy of <laughs> on the equalizer it's not it's not a story (laughs) that the benders would tell you (laughs) aman was an equalizer so wise so powerful the spirits gave him the ability to take away other people's bending which he did of course (laughs) (laughs) oh my god i love it um yeah no it's and i'm like yeah i'm i'm here for it man i'm here for this revolution take away all the bending especially from the like you know obviously to a point but like i think that the tragedy of the whole situation is that cora and aman want the same thing they want to you know make republic city and therefore the world safe for all people you know and equal if you will um yeah but the way that obviously aman goes about it is what makes him the villain you know he's not only wanting to just take bending from the bad people of the world but all benders even though all benders are not evil and not harmful and all that like that's it's when your ideals get too overblown and you are starting to generalize things like that's where it gets really messy and muddy but like again he's got a point if they work together that (laughs) they could make they could make the world better and it just like (laughs) oh yeah okay 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 but i but i have a i have a question though about this Mm-hmm. And I'm, I know that I'm veering with this whole conversation. <laughs> heck, this whole episode veers dangerously close to like the cliff of like Second Amendment arguments, you know? And Wait, so, what? Really? Because we're like, are we disarming everybody so that everybody is safe? Mm hmm. It's forceful disarmament. Oh, I see what you're, see what you're and, saying. Right. And so, like, and I'm going to be as neutral as possible on it, but, but I ask a question because the foil that is presented to disarmament arguments is, well, what, if you take it away from everybody, well, what about the people who get it? Mm-hmm. Apart from the system, now you have no way to defend yourself. So I guess the real question is sort of to take that argument and put this in avatar terms, if you were to take away everybody's bending, you took away everybody in the world's bending, 
First of all, is bending hereditary? I'm assuming it is because it's got to be genetic if people from different nations have bending. Like, there's no firebenders that come out of the water tribes. There's no waterbenders that come out of the Earth Kingdom. It's got to be genetic in some way. Well, yes, but actually no. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it, it is... It well, is that's why I'm those... asking, like, the professor <laughs> of bendology here, so... Yeah, this has been one of those argumented... Like, like this is one of those things that it's never made fully clear, and I don't think it really needs to be, but yes, it is genetic, like, depending on your family and all that, but non-benders... Or sorry, I'm sorry. If you have like a non-bender and a bender get married, have a child, you could have a non-bending child, but you could also have a bending. So it's just like, it's not 100% genetic, but it also is. <laughs> it makes no sense. Honestly, I never even questioned right, because, it. Because well, like... then that's my question is if you took away all of the benders in the world, well, wouldn't they potentially have children that because they haven't been they haven't had their bending taking away from them, couldn't they be naturally able to bend? I mean, they wouldn't have anybody to learn from, but like... I, potentially, yes. I, I'd i never really thought about that, like, if, that, if there were no benders, like, or if you like, managed like, to take like away... <laughs> Just because you get rid of the benders doesn't mean you get, a, get rid of bending. Like, right. it could still spontaneously happen. You're not cutting Especially... off a line because it's not necessarily, you know... Yeah, and also because animals can bend. Like that's those are the original benders are the animals. So like you gotta take away right. the badger bulls bending a mod. Get on top of them. Right. You just gotta grab those dragons by the horn and just like oh, you take away right. your bending. I know take yeah. from you your power. <laughs> I would love to have seen that. Um yeah, no. So it's like it's <laughs> just a mod wrestling a dragon. I I bet yes, you'd want to see that. I would want to see that. It's my man oh. wrestling a dragon. <laughs> right. Um yeah, no. So again, it it is one of those things that's like, eh, it's not really explained exactly how bending is passed down genetically, or if it is ease. Why did I say it like that? If it even is my sister. Um but uh <laughs> Yeah, so I feel like we're getting way off track here. No, we're right on track. That's the scary thing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um, But yeah, no, just since we're talking about the taking it away, the bending, holy shit, like the speech is great and all, but to actually see the demonstration in action, like seeing Amon actively take away someone's bending without using bending himself, like, you know, and... And being able to dodge fucking lightning. I'm like, oh my god, this guy's superhuman. Like, what the fuck? He's so cool. Um, I know these non-benders are really OP. Like, these guys have really been on their stuff. They're eating their weenies every morning with these like cheap walking right. ninjas and then a mom, like just casually yes. dodges a lightning bolt, no problem. Um, but no, I agree with you. The spectacle, the lightning up on the stage dying down mm. like a like a like a hose that someone's turning the water off on it yep. and then it dies down from lightning into fire and then the fire and then into dies nothing. down yeah <sighs> holy cow just, <laughs> yeah <laughs> just damn man damn he's so goddamn cool 
Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> that literally that is the thing that goes through my mind every time I see Amon on screen. Every single time I'm like, God, he's so fucking cool. Like I just like just looking at him, he's cool, but then he like has the awesome voice and he's able to take people's bending and like hold his own against benders without using bend. I'm just like, oh my god, so cool. I can't get over it. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. But real quick, yeah. how is it that Amon a one-off character from a show, a Nickelodeon show, has more power and more presence than any on-screen Doctor Doom depiction <laughs> that multi-million dollar film studios have been able to put out in the last 20 years. And, like, I'm uh, watching watching what they've done with Doctor Doom, another masked madman, a megalomaniac who wants to change the world. And I just want to grab, like, Marvel Studios by the face and point to Legend of Korra and be like, DiMartino and Kanishko <laughs> built this in a cave with a box of scraps! <laughs> a Nickelodeon! <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's crazy. Like, Say what you will about, you know, Mike and Brian, <laughs> but they know how to craft incredible villains, like not just in Avatar, but in Legend of Korra as well. Like the villains, honestly, I think most people watching Legend of Korra, even yeah. if they don't like the show itself, they can't argue that the villains are like the best part of the show. And I would agree with that. Like, I'm a huge Korra lover, obviously, but oh. like the villains, though, yeah. like, come on, <laughs> they're so good um oh yeah no and you know and you and i have talked before and i think we talked when we were um going over the first series when we were going over avatar that you know mm -hmm. a story is only as good as its villain which i have mm -hmm. put out many many times in conversations about this you know and and this is a whole separate discussion for me and you when we want to undertake this now i'll simply state as a fact that it's the reason why lately a lot of um recent disney pixar projects that have come out the last few years have gotten a lot of criticism is because there's no villains in the stories stories like Encanto and Lightyear and and um Frozen 2 and things like that where they're like well who is there even actually a villain or um was it Raya Raya and the Last Dragon like pe mm -hmm. be, the 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 lack of a stable actual continues all the way to the end of presence of a villain in the story it does take something out of it. Now, it's debatable whether the story elements that are put in replace a villain and how effectively mm -hmm. they can replace a villain. But let's all like face facts here. When Puss in Boots came out recently, the talk <laughs> of the movie is not the hero. It's the villains. It's all yes. the villains. And especially one in particular. Hell yeah. <laughs> it's so funny that you actually mentioned that because that villain and i mean anybody that's seen the movie knows who we're talking about but i won't spoil it um reminded me a lot of Amon, actually <laughs> like it almost remind i was like wow i wonder if they watched legend of korra because this is giving me like a mon vibe like completely different but like the vibes were very similar very sinister very menacing just standing there you're like oh my god this guy's terrifying Stri strikes fear into the heart of the hero at literally every turn. You know. exactly like the fear is palpable through the screen how much our hero is terrified of this villain like at just every moment and i'm just like yes i love villains like this shit yeah. <laughs> my favorite kind of villains mm -hmm. the ones that you yeah. even if they're not there you feel their presence like that's that to me is the mark of an incredible villain like 
they don't even have to be on screen and you're thinking right. about them <laughs> well see and that's the thing also that i feel like gets lost a lot of times um i mean i'm gonna pick for a moment on the mcu but not because <laughs> of a oh, recent movie is good or bad but to take throughout <laughs> the entire mcu's history take note of which villains they have treated like actual threats to the hero um Take, for example, uh, let me go back as far as a movie that is very much looked down on by the Marvel community, and and that would be Iron Man 2. Mm-hmm. Have you seen Iron Man 2? A long time ago when it first came I know out. It takes us back a lot of years now. This is like, yeah, this is like this this is like 2011 stuff. This is like 11 years ago. <laughs> Excuse me. In that movie the 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 bad guy is whiplash Mm -hmm. and whiplash is this like russian disgruntled like disgruntled enemy of the you know stark industries and everything and the guy is not particularly terrifying he's he's not he's 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 admittedly he's not the he's not the most frightening villain in all the mcu heck he's not even the most frightening villain in (laughs) iron man 2 but the thing is that the movie though what i feel like it does a great job of is it makes tony stark for a lot of the movie is genuinely afraid of him remember the scene where there's like the formula one race and like the the car crashes he is like genuinely scared of this guy he has no suit on this guy has like these giant lightning whips and there's actual fear Mm -hmm. in tony stark's eyes of this guy who like is at best like a spider-man villain maybe even a daredevil level Mm -hmm. villain but like the fact of the matter is, you put fear into the hero for the villain, and we'll talk about it more in the next episode of Voice of the Night, but mm-hmm. you put that fear in your hero, the audience will feel afraid. Yep. And that's all I'm going to say about it for right that's this said. second. <laughs> <laughs> now, the fight scenes in this episode are awesome. You were, rev- you were saying that like Korra is really action-packed. <laughs> And you weren't wrong about it. The fight scenes in this episode, like the fight scene after the whole breakup of the the Revelation meeting, that street fight is yeah, fantastic. I, I absolutely love that the idea of chi-blocking like, got upgraded, because I always thought it was a really cool, like, I didn't, not really gimmick, but just like a really cool non-bending thing that you could learn. You know, obviously, Ty Lee, Ty Lee was kind of the queen of chi-blocking, but then Suki also learned it. Um, and so like, I love seeing that it just became like this kind of bigger than life defense technique, uh, against benders. And that that's kind of the, you know, the, the, what, what the hell are they called? The equalist. There we go. <laughs> the, the, the equalist like main form of defense is just using chi blocking and their electric, you know, weaponry against, uh, benders. And that whole scene of, you know, Korra and Mako fighting against the chi blockers in just this big empty alley it's so gorgeous and i'm pretty sure that that was one of the things Mm -hmm. that was um that that was one of the things that was pitched to nickelodeon like this fight scene they storyboarded it and then they sent it to nickelodeon was like Mm -hmm. this is what you could like if you gave us the this is we could do for the whole series like just this incredible animation and fighting and lighting and just like oh it's so so good um and uh yeah, I just I had to break. Yeah, the choreography is fantastic on it. <laughs> the atmosphere in the fight scene is just so it's just so dark and it has this sort of you know um the sort of amber like overtone to the whole thing in the alleyway. Um it's also just really ominous because 
you know, they're these glowing-eyed, like, ninja warriors, basically, that they're Mm -hmm. fighting against. Um, And you see their bending being put to use, but you also see it being so ineffective. They've got got moves like Azula, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, very clearly, they're they're super well-trained. And and these are against, again, they may not be warriors, but these guys are, like, competitive mm-hmm. benders they don't just casually bend they don't just bend to to power up power plants or to make hydraulics go these are guys who train against other benders right. exactly and i think that it's this is something that i really appreciate just in media in general when your lackeys or your henchmen are actually effective that is such an underrated thing about the chi blockers in Legend of Korra is that they are actually super effective at their job. And the only thing that they do wrong is they don't just kill like the people. They just kind of leave them. <laughs> and I'm like, why don't you just kill them? You have them right there. But <laughs> they're not wanting to kill them, obviously. And we'll, we'll discuss. I don't think Amon would be too happy about that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they would just be martyrs. Exactly. You know? <laughs> well, I was about to say, we'll talk about that with the, uh, the next episode. But um but yeah, no, they're super effective and I love their designs and the way that they, you know, fight and just everything about the Equalists are so cool. Like I'm 100% on the bad guys side. <laughs> Team bad guys. They've turned you. They've turned you to the Equalist side. You turned her against me. <laughs> <laughs> You're with him. You're with Amon. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> and I can't um, blame you. Exactly. <laughs> Most people are. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty much all I wanted to say about episode three. The real meat and potatoes is the next episode. So oh, take yeah. us away with our Oh, stats. yeah. Yes, yes, yes. This brings oh, us yeah. to episode four A Voice in the Night. It is, of course, written by Michael Dante DiMartino and Brian Konetsko. It's directed by Joaquin Dos Santos and Ki Hyun Ryu beautifully animated by studio mirror and the episode aired on april 28th 2012 um the imdb rating for a voice in the night is an extremely unjust 8.1 out of 10 i just when i saw that i actually got mad i was like are we watching the same episode (laughs) who are these npcs who are voting on this (laughs) You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of when we did the rating for Jet, and it was like a 7.5, and we're both, like, appalled by that. <laughs> like, Absolutely me. not. Yes, we were exactly. so mad, and rightfully so. It's such a good episode. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, that, that rating is bullshit. Like, it's still really high, but it's not high enough. Like, yeah, no, no, no. Those um, are rookie numbers. We gotta pump those numbers up. Take us away with some fun facts, Amanda. Let's get the yes. show moving. All right. Um, the sequence of Korra uses her firebending against the chi blockers during their nighttime ambush was based on an unused concept for Avatar The Last Airbender, where Aang would have fought Zuko in complete darkness, with the characters and their surroundings only appearing when Zuko firebent. I need to see that fight. I know they probably never even like storyboarded oh, it, but I would so love... So cool. Oh, just thinking about that, I'm just like, oh, when would that have happened? Like, where? What episode? Or like, but I just, I, oh, I need it. I need it. <laughs> Which of the 14 episodes where they fight each other would that have happened in? 
I know, exactly. Which of the two seasons were they <laughs> fighting each other when none of happens? Um, <laughs> our next fun fact is Jnor and Iki can be seen playing Pai Show in the background when Korra receives her invitation to Tarlock's party. Just a fun little, you know, bit of continuity. I love... Well, well that's awesome. Yeah, I love seeing Pai Show. And Pai Show is actually brought back in Legend of Korra, um, not to the extent that it was in uh, Avatar, where, you know, you had the White mm-hmm. Lotus and all that. But I love just the continuity of things like that being brought into Legend of Korra. Um, it really ties the world together, really ties the room together. <laughs> uh, but, uh, <laughs> can, you imagine, can you imagine parents just like being, their kids are playing Pai Show and these, these parents come over and they're like, don't play Pai Show. Don't you know Pai Show is the game of the Illuminati? The White Lotus play <laughs> Pai Show. Literally. Give me those cards. They hide them in a drawer somewhere. Just like flip the table. <laughs> no more pie show. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Our next fun fact is that Asami Sato's voice actress, Sashel Gabriel, played Princess Yue in the infamous Last Airbender movie. I told you this when we did the Last Airbender that she was going to be playing. Yep. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yep. That's right. One, oh, that's so cool. The one character that actually was done well in Last Airbender got to be, you know, a character in Legend of Korra. And like a main character too. So I'm very happy for Sasha Gabriel. Yeah. She's, she's great. Um, this episode has the second highest numbers of US viewership for book one with 4.8 million viewers. And rightfully so. Wow. It's so good. They yeah. Okay, let me tell you. It is. Let me tell you. Each week, they when the show was airing, they would play like commercials, obviously, to, to let you know what mm-hmm. was going to be happening next week. And this episode... I remember because I was so hyped. I was like, oh my God, Cora is going to meet Amon like face to face. Like, oh, I was freaking out. And so they just kept playing these uh-huh. same commercials. And yeah, the hype was real. It was like going to be a big deal. And uh, yeah, so that makes sense that this would have the second most amount of uh, viewership. I don't know if the if the first would be either the the first episode or the finale, but excuse me. Um but yeah, I love that <laughs> it's the second highest numbers of viewership for the first season, at least. That's um, and as you said, rightfully so. Like, there's there's so much in this episode that I couldn't believe by about halfway through how much was packed into it. Like, I know. Okay, so let me <laughs> let me touch on a few let me touch on a few details first, and I'm gonna kind of backtrack through the fun facts just a little bit. Um, to one mm-hmm. in particular, um, Asami Sato, um, yeah. uh, who I affectionately until I figured out her name and could remember it, I just kept referring to her in my notes as Moped Girl. Um, so um, <laughs> yes. I really, really, I really liked her character, but I also deeply distrusted her right from the beginning. Because it's like, oh, extremely attractive girl hits you with her moped and then and decides to invite you to dinner and doesn't think you're a weirdo because you're like a half homeless firebending <laughs> creep. But hey, that 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 hair can really get anybody. <clears throat> but anyway, so like she's super smitten with him, invites him to dinner to apologize for it, and then she's like, oh, don't worry about it, I'll take care of that. Like she buys him a new wardrobe. Like it's it's really shady. The kind of person you expect to turn evil by the end of the episode and she doesn't i'm not gonna lie i still kind of don't trust her but i really really want her to be a wholesome good character but i don't trust her 
She's animated <laughs> like an anime villain. She's she, I don't know if she's bad or if she's just drawn that way. I don't know. I guess we'll have to see. <laughs> oh my god, I don't say it that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. I love Asami. Like she doesn't, I think that she really grows as a character as the series goes along, series goes along. Um, but I do, I love her design. I love that she's a non-bender, but like she can still kick ass. Like she, she's a very, very cool character. Um, and but, she's uh, rich. Yeah, and she's rich, very rich. She's probably the richest, she's like Toph in the Earth Kingdom. She's like one of the richest people in Republic City. Um which is, you know, and she, we meet her dad, who, fun fact, this should have been in the fun facts, um, her dad is going to be playing, like, the voice actor for her dad um, is going to be playing Fire Lord Ozai in the live-action Netflix show. And I am oh, that's literally, cool. I'm blanking, oh my god, what is his name? It's like Daniel Day Kim, right? Yes, it's Daniel Day Kim. It is. Okay, yeah. So Daniel Dekem voices Hiroshi Sato, which is Asami's dad. And he also voiced, uh, voiced General Fong in Avatar, the guy that tried to, like, drown Katara in quicksand and got his ass handed to him by Aang. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> yeah, so it's like he already... <laughs> he's been in both Avatar oh, and... Oh, those are the days. Fond memories. Right? Um, so he's he's been in both Avatar and Legend of Korra, and now he's going to be Fire Lord Ozai in the live action series. Like I am so happy for Daniel Day Kim because he's such a good actor, um, and I can't wait to see. Is him this, this guy going to get some sort of like medal for like being a part of all these different, you know, <laughs> honorary <things>? Avatar like... <laughs> medal? <laughs> yes, right be, for complete complete the so hat awesome. trick. <laughs> Literally, um, he deserves it. He's great. Um, but yeah, so you know we've got we've got and a I bunch mean, of things happening. And the Sami oh. has good taste; has a good, really good taste in men. I mean, she saw Mako and immediately was like, "I'm, a, I'm gonna hit this guy with my moped." Because <laughs> I'm gonna hit also <laughs> with my moped in parentheses. <laughs> with my moped. Also, disclaimer for anybody listening: um, not a great tactic. Don't do it. Makes you look like a psychopath. Um, but in a Nickelodeon show, works extremely well. Um, yeah. Um, so she's great. Um, I also liked Mako's whole like the scarf stays thing. I also liked that it wasn't just a mm -hmm. funny like. Um, uh, what am I trying to say? Like in, in a funny idiosyncrasy of his that he like keeps his scarf. Like it, right. uh, that it has a meaning for him, that it's an inherited piece. It's kind of like uh, Linus from Peanuts with his blanket. I kind of like that. He was in security. Well, see, I didn't even think about it until the most recent viewing that I had of this episode that his scarf is actually very similar to Katara's mother's necklace, you know, that she always wears. Mm -hmm. Like it is only for him, it's his father's scarf. So I'm like, oh, that's a cute little like, you know, it's not, it's not so overt. Like I said, I've seen the show a million times and I never made that connection to like just now. Um, but yeah, I really like it. It's very sweet. And the red looks great with his suit. So like, come on. Uh, he, he cleans up nicely. Yeah. <laughs> it brings out his um, eyes. <laughs> right. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So I want to talk a little bit. He does have really pretty eyes. <laughs> the Fire Nation gold. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit, speaking of new characters, of uh, Councilman Tarlock. Because I know, I saw your notes that you had him written down. Yeah, yeah. He is uh, quite a shyster. 
that guy and <laughs> i can't help but believe that he has an agenda deeper than all this because the guy can't just be like i mean even even tenzin was called him out immediately that he was like oh this is just a bid for power for you forming this task force to get him on yeah but like come on now if we're saying out loud what his motives are those can't be his motives his motives have to be something else so right. him being all like oh let's capture him on let's 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 be good and make sure that the citizens of the city are, are, are protected like anybody who talks like that <laughs> you know and is still a nice person is obviously evil right because he's a politician this guy he's not <laughs> like he's you know yeah he's a politician like he's too nice and he's showering her with gifts and things like that like the love bombing on this show is real you've got you've <laughs> right. got you've got him just yeah you've got him just showering you know cora with cars and gift baskets and all kinds of stuff trying to buy her support you've got asami and there she does she almost kills him out with her moped and then she she brings him over and introduces him to daddy takes him to dinner gets him a grant for his team like the rich are really the evil in the show like <laughs> You know, right off the bat, like whether somebody's good or evil by how much money they have. I'm sorry, like there's a really, an <laughs> like there's a real anti-industrialist. I feel like bent in the show that cares a carryover from Avatar with the whole war factory is bad. Return mm -hmm. to nature, like you know, right? <laughs> yeah, no, um, it is kind of interesting. Like I, I didn't even again, I didn't even think about that. That like you've got two instances of love bombing and like gift giving like severe gift giving um with asami and tarlock both for completely different reasons obviously um but uh yeah no i i it's so funny because like when people are talking about legend of korra villains usually they talk about mon they'll talk about the season three villains sometimes the season four villain but nobody ever talks about tarlock and it's crazy to me because i think he is like he may come across in the first couple episodes that he's in as like just the corrupt politician just wants power, all that. But the more you watch of him, the more you realize there's actually a lot more going on. He's very layered. And I think that he is a you brilliant know who he character. reminds me of? He reminds him. me of, and I the name is going to get away from me so I don't remember, the guy who was running like the control system in the Earth Kingdom, like under the nose of the king. The guy who had his, mm -hmm. his, his agents, yeah, Long what's Fang. that character's name? Long, Long Fang. Fang, yes. He reminds me of him, but like not so ominous just overly untrustworthy nice mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah like like kind of laying it on a little thick there tarlock <laughs> um yeah. yeah yeah just a bit but uh yeah no and i i like that he's um you know that he is a representative of the northern water tribe because obviously Korra is from the southern water mm -hmm. tribe uh just like katara and Sokka. And so it's nice to see, you know, it's a little moment, but I really like that when he enters, you know, Air Temple Island and basically like interrupts their dinner, which is such a dick move. Like mm -hmm. he literally uses the it fact really that is. airbenders, yeah, he uses the fact that airbenders have to feed guests that come to their doorstep as like a, oh, I'm going to take advantage of that. I'm like, you're such a dick, Tarlock. I love you. Um, he really is. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, he's not even, I love that he's just proud of how much of a dick he is. Um, but yeah, so but it is a <laughs> little really moment is too. He, <laughs> yes, he doesn't try to hide it. And I appreciate that. I like forwardness. Um, but uh, yeah. yeah. So I like the little moment between him and Cora where, you know, he's introducing himself and Cora stands and bows to him in the traditional, you know, Southern slash Northern water tribe way of greeting. And it's just like, it's such a little thing because she could have just said hi or she could have uh, shook in his hand, but no, she bows to him the way that the Northern water tribe bow to each other when they're greeting each other. And, you know, it's just kind of, it's a good culture thing. And I like that. Um, and in that same scene, I had the exact same reaction as Tarlock and Tenzin and everybody else when Cora said that she wasn't going to join the task force to take down Amon. I was like, excuse me, what? <laughs> like, it actually shocked right? me way more than it should have. <laughs> because, like, you know, again, this is a <laughs> this is a little moment of, like, Cora growing in just the first couple of episodes. Like, because that's exactly what you would expect her to do is to be like, hell yeah, I'll join. Let's rough these guys up. But no, she actually is like, I'm here to focus on my airbending and I just need to worry about that right now. Like, and I'm like, damn, Cora, you're already growing. I love it so much. <laughs> like, it's, mm -hmm. again, little moments like that that really add up as the seasons go on um, to show her growth. But uh, obviously she does end up joining. She's more forced to when, you know, he puts together a little gala for her um, and everyone gets dressed and up. That was awful. I was so angry when everyone got so, like, just he maneuvers her in with everybody putting pressure on her in different ways. I mean, mm -hmm. like, it's not like he instrumented it, but he certainly made sure that she was steered to all the people that yeah. were just going to say stuff to chip away at her. Right. He put her in an environment where she'd be, like, pressure cooked into saying yes. <laughs> it's like not good it's so yeah, bad especially the reporters um, oh my gosh the, the the media is poison people literally they just have a couple questions it's fine um yeah no, yeah he, turn off the news off. and turn on our podcast <laughs> right um but uh fun fact also i don't know if you caught this i'd be amazed if you didn't but do you know who voices tarlock uh i actually did not i wasn't paying attention D. Bradley Baker, aka all the clones and Appa and Momo. Wow. <laughs> now you're gonna not be able to unhear it. Yeah, now I can't unhear it. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, because I think I remember telling so he's you Starlock. Yep. I think I remember telling you when we were doing Avatar that he voiced a main character in Legend of Korra, and this is the one that I was talking about. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. It all it's all coming together. <laughs> I think I was I think I was paying more attention to the fact that the bouncer at the door in the previous episode was Christopher <laughs> Judge, who voices Kratos from the God of War games. So like <laughs> I think I I was still reeling from that. I was like, oh, it's him. <laughs> it's him. Yes. Um yeah, no, they have such top tier talent in in both Avatar and Legend of Korra for their voice actors. I absolutely love it. Um so let's talk about the best part of the episode. And that's already a high bar because the stuff we talked about is already really good. Uh -huh. But really what this episode so is. So good. Yeah. What this episode is really about, the theme is self-worth and paralyzing fear um, because of, yeah. you know, your enemy. And 
this is what I was talking about in the last episode where we were, where I was saying that one of the biggest things that, uh, or things that Korra goes through is doubting her self-worth if she's not the Avatar. Like losing her bending is her biggest fear at this point because if she doesn't have her bending, then she's not the Avatar anymore. Then who is she? Like she's nobody, she's nothing. Or at least that's what she thinks. And so we get to see her really wrestle with that and come to terms with that like paralyzing fear that she has um and it's done so well in this episode like it's it's really incredible yeah it's so good you know we watch her place in the world kind of getting chipped away all her little anchor points because it in a way it makes sense that her while it's an excuse to avoid her fear that she's like i need to focus on my training her training is one absolute that's not going to go away she is the avatar she need, does need to complete her training she is the pupil of tenzin but like all that being the anchor point all her other things her you know relationship with mako is got gets the knees kicked out from under it when he shows up with asami and she's obviously very jealous about it she mm -hmm. you know immediately gets put down by the police chief you know who I, i'm so happy that she showed up um and then <laughs> gave uh, her a really good singer yeah yeah and then and then of course she gets forced into doing something that she feels like she has to do to prove herself which is she joins the task force because in a way i think she's trying to create you know as, as we said trying to prove your worth she isn't worthless she isn't just somebody who can bend four different ways and not do well against any of them or not do well with any of them because she's got people chi blocking her left and right and now she has to be scared of somebody just taking that away and if somebody takes that away what is she what is she if she's not the avatar and exactly. it really drives home that point in a really powerful way you know the because at that point Amon is not just a physical threat he's not just going to take away her powers he's going to take away everything that makes her important everything that makes but let's really get down to the real real bare bones of it what makes anybody care about her even might even that fear might even undercut tenzin's value of her because does tenzin only care about her because she's his pupil and needs to master her bending and does he not care about her other than mm -hmm. that other than his responsibility as her master exactly yeah it's yeah it's so really it, it, it really does drive the home yeah, I love that all the little things that kind of compile, <clears throat> excuse me, compile her fear throughout the episode. You know, the episode starts with a dream sequence in which she dreams of Amon breaking into her home and taking her bending. Obviously, just from sequence. But then we have, you know, when she's out practicing, and I love seeing her practice, like, in between scenes. Like, she, this girl is working for her airbending. Like, she's not just slacking off. She is mm -hmm. dedicated. I love it. Um because, you know, people would always say shit like, oh, why doesn't Rey ever train? Or why don't we ever see these characters train? I'm like, she's training nonstop. Like, that's all she does in her free time. Um, you know anyways, who we but... didn't see training? Aang. 
<laughs> what are you talking about? Egg tray nuts stuff too. <laughs> I mean, he would goof off, but yeah, no. <laughs> I, I love that they don't, that but, they have But that. he mostly trained by flexing, like, for fun. But he didn't, like, you know, he'd meditate. <laughs> but he didn't, like, train like this, though. I mean, he would train with his masters, but he wasn't just constantly disciplining himself. <laughs> Yeah, well, he is 12, and Cora's basically an adult at this point, so <laughs> she's taking it a little more right, seriously. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, you know, I love the little, it's literally less than a minute long, but the scene of her, you know, out in the courtyard training, it's like in the middle of the night, and she's listening to mm -hmm. the radio, and then suddenly Amon cuts in and disrupts whatever she's listening to, and she just is frozen in fear like literally she cannot move mm -hmm. as she's listening and she's got sweat going down her face and she's just like horrified and it's just him talking on the radio it's not even really addressing her um and again it's little moments like that where i'm like oh that's so good and it just reinforces uh, how scared love, she is i love i love that in it is the very words where he's like you know the common people the world don't have to be afraid anymore like we can make the mm -hmm. benders be afraid as we're literally watching her like so scared just her eyes yep. trembling like it's time for benders to experience fear it's like damn what a cold line <laughs> but uh yeah, yeah it's so so good um and then you know when she's being you know hounded by the press at this gala that tarlock throws for her um she's answering questions and she gets so like frustrated and so nervous that she actually calls out Amon and is like hey i'm not afraid she's obviously terrified but she's like i'm not afraid of you i'll fight you by myself like just you and me one-on-one -on -one. you know tonight we'll duke it out and settle this thing um and so she goes to Aang's uh, Memorial Island and gets, of course, because, you know, he's the villain. Um, he totally breaks their uh, their deal or whatever. And he brings all of his and, chi blockers. And you know, and you know it's, it's interesting also on a real quick note that the way she tries to cover her fear is the way people do with aggression. Instead of mm -hmm. owning up to it, instead of seeking help, they just code it over with anger and they look you know, like, they're, like they're still in control, except you're actually not you're actually more out of control than ever yeah and it's it's like overcompensating almost like i'm not afraid what do you mean I'll, I'll fight you right now like that's what she's doing she's overcompensating for her fear and so and it's a very real reaction especially for someone like her to you know face her fears with aggression and head on as opposed to actually you know talking about them and finding a safer better option um but uh right. yeah so i i love that and so she gets ambushed and I absolutely love, I know that we kind of talked about it in the fun facts, but I love the sequence of the chi blockers ambushing her. Yes. Um, just so the, the cool. way that we see her throwing all the elements or at least all the ones that she has so far um, at them, you know, the water, the air, the fire lighting up the scene and she just utterly surrounded mm -hmm. and, you know, they're able to tie her up in um, uh, what's it called when you, Oh my yeah, God, what's yeah. the word? They incapacitate her. Yeah, and that's already scary enough. And then when she comes to, because they knock her out, when she comes to, Amon is there too. And this scene, oh my God. I hate to say it. This, this ruined me. <laughs> this scene made me ship tracking Cora and Amon. <laughs> yep, the glasses are coming off. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't help Good it. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. That's the end. <laughs> Oh, oh my god, oh, I know. 
It's terrible. I mean, <laughs> I, mean I can see it. I mean, I right? can see like... it, but only because, but only because I know you like I do. No, it's so bad. I have such a type. <laughs> no, but like the sexual tension in this scene is off the charts, and I was not prepared. I was like, what the fuck? Why is this so like sexual? I can't. I'm I'm scared. <laughs> Everybody, Todd is literally curled up in a fetal position in his chair. He is terrified of this notion. I don't know how oh I didn't see it coming, but I didn't see it. <laughs> I know. I literally i'm surprised i got ruined once by the episode and now i've been ruined again by my co-host <laughs> oh my god i can't help no. it man i mean yes but no and it, it doesn't help that <clears throat> like i would say and fun fact their ship name is amora and i love that <laughs> it has a name it has a name amora yep Amor. Uh, when you challenge <laughs> this guy and then you nearly die, that's Amora. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> yep. And, uh, you know, it's a very small shipping fan base, but like, damn, did they have some amazing fan art, fan fiction? One of my favorite fanfics of all time is an Amora fanfic. Um, and I wish that it happened in the show because it's actually really good. Um, yeah. So I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> I, when, like, people are talking about, Mako and Asami and Mako and Korra, Bolin and Korra. And I'm like over here like Amon and Korra. <laughs> Hero villain shit for the you know win, what? baby. <laughs> you know what? You I'm, know what? I while while I was surprised, I'm not shocked. And exactly. I I will go on record. And double down that I've said before, I will try anything once. So after we're done, find the link to this fanfic and send it to me. Make me a believer. I'm not going to lie. I like without spoilers, obviously, I feel like by the end of this series of this season, you will be like, you know what? I, I see it. <laughs> you may not ship it, but you'll get why. <laughs> Let's just say that. I will I will keep an open mind. <laughs> yes. Oh my god, I love it. Anyway, um so but in all seriousness, shipping aside, this scene is so good and so terrifying that it's one of those scenes that like I will just watch in a vacuum just because it's so like it's a perfect villain hero meeting, you know? And like it's... It, it really is it, it it it's on the level in my opinion it's on the level of like um loki and black widow's confrontation yeah i love that scene mm -hmm. yeah yep. same it, vibes it's very same vibes there <laughs> same vibes um yeah which is interesting because like i feel like with loki and black widow's scene it's really a power play, you know, the one would be on top and then the next, you know, they'll say something and then, oh, suddenly they're in power and it goes back and forth. Here, it's like, no, Cora has no power. She is it's completely, completely one-sided. Yes. And that's what makes it so scary because you're like, holy shit, what, what is she going to do? She can't do anything. <laughs> like, she is literally at this guy's mercy. And the only reason that he spares her 
and you know doesn't take away her bending is exactly what he says you would become a martyr and benders would rally behind your untimely demise and it's like damn (laughs) so this is one of those times where i'm like wow it actually makes sense for him to not kill the hero when he has them you know in their grasp yeah because so many times what is it what was it austin powers where it's like we're gonna leave them there to die we'll close the screen so we don't see them (laughs) the alligators will get them yeah no this is like he could absolutely (laughs) kill her right then and there take away her bending but no he chooses not to because it's a power play it's a it's a move in his favor and you know he i mean he promises to save her for last like you know you will get your duel and i will destroy you and i'm like oh my god (laughs) that is so scary Mm -hmm. um and then that's the great thing about a villain who presents a threat that is greater than a physical threat he presents a threat an an ideological threat and his presence means something to the mm-hmm. bigger world than the battle, this one-on-one. She, that's the thing I think that really intimidates Korra is she's not used to that. She comes from a tribal background of kill or be killed, of man versus beast, man versus the environment. And for there to be such huge resonating effects in this very politicized world that she's in, it's very dangerous for her. And so she thought she was going to take the confrontation back down to that really, really just carnal level of life or death, kill or be killed one-on-one combat without an audience, without this big ideological power play of who's right and who's wrong and how they're actions will affect the world she just wanted to take care of it privately Ah, uh-uh, doesn't work that way mm-hmm. he brought it right back onto his terms no. <laughs> it <laughs> like it oh man it's so good like sit down little girl let me show you how the adults play in this playground because like <laughs> he's been at this for years like cora has only been to republic city and in the public image for at the most a couple months at the most and yeah. Amon has been in the shadows for years, as Tenzin has said, you know, the mm-hmm. the equalists are growing in power. They've been growing for years. And that's why it's so unsafe in Republic yeah. City, because they're finally, you know, coming to full power. Um, so, like, right. yeah, it's 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 so scary. And, you know, we end the episode. Amon knocks her out and leaves her there on the island. Um And as she's knocked out, she gets very brief glimpses of flashbacks of Aang, of Toph, of like all the the original Avatar characters. Mm -hmm. And then Tenzin comes in and she thinks it's Aang for a moment um, and comforts her because, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously her bending's not taken, but she is now emotionally and mentally scarred from this experience. And she breaks down. She just breaks down in his arms like, oh, yeah. So just like gut wrenching. Mm hmm. Yeah, and she just straight up is like, I don't know what to do. Like, I've never felt like this before. And I'm just like, oh, my God. (laughs) Like, that's so, you know, it's haunting. It's a very haunting way to end the episode. It just, it really ruined me emotionally. The whole, you know, the battle happening so suddenly and not even being really much of any kind of a fight. And it's, again, as you said, so visually striking. Amon appears immediately. It's chilling the whole thing and then her breakdown afterward being the culmination of what we've been watching her hold in the entire episode the emotional impact mm-hmm. of this episode is just tremendous just tremendous it um packs quite a wallet yeah and you know what i realized we didn't give a rating we weren't we we 
we didn't give away the last episode before we did it. So here we are, the end of the episode again, <laughs> looking for for the ratings on these. Um, so I guess we'll just I guess we'll just do them, uh, both of them now. Um, okay. uh, episode three, the revelation, the first one we were talking about. Um, I'm gonna give that one. I'm gonna give that one a solid a solid eight point one out of ten. Um, it's good. It's very good, um, and it introduces Aman mm. in a huge way as far as his his background and his um, his motivations. Um, the episode doesn't have a ton of content in it. It's just like one big situation, which I like. But you know, it's one big situation mm-hmm. that it just takes a very long time for the scenes. They spend the time they need to in the scenes, but the episode doesn't do a whole lot besides just introducing Aman. It does it well, um, right. and so a solid, a solid eight point one. Um, what would you give it? I'm gonna be honest. I would probably give it a nine point five. <laughs> That's gonna be really episode th- episode three at nine point five. I'm telling you, like these two episodes back to back, episode three and episode four, are in my opinion like some of the best in Legend of Korra. Um, because you got the first episode with the revelation where we really get mm-hmm. to see him on for the first time in all of his glory, and it's amazing. And then you got episode four where we get to see Korra's reaction to to seeing Amon and like how that affects her. And so they're mm-hmm. really good complimentary episodes. Um, and so I think that they kind of go hand in hand, really. They could have been a two-parter, honestly. Um, so it really I personally... could have, actually, which is probably the reason why mentally, you know, we didn't even rate them <laughs> until the end. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I think I would give the revelation um, a 9.5. And as for a voice in the night, um what what do you think um i loved voice of the night um i mean everything we've been talking about the emotional impact of it the build-up to the fight uh it packs a ton of stuff into the episode and you know that i love that i love when an episode um gets a lot accomplished i do love an episode that keeps things simple that doesn't go off into side storylines but we don't really have that we Mm -hmm. haven't really had it all in legend of korra the way we did in uh in avatar um the episode is extremely good um it's hard for me to want to jump so high and i'm not going to anyway (laughs) um when i have no idea when i have no idea what the rest of the series has in store um so i'm going to be as liberal as i can be with it and i'm going to give it a 9.3 i don't know what the whole series is like by the time i would get to the end maybe where my 10 is (laughs) for cora maybe this would change this rating in hindsight but i'm going to give it a very generous 9.3 because it's just so good it is and this is going to be one of those, there are only two episodes in Legend of Korra that I would give that elusive 10 out of 10 to, and this is one of them. This to me is a perfect Ooh. 25 minutes of television. I really, I don't know that I would change anything about it. Um, like, I, <laughs> it's just perfect. I literally, this is one of those episodes, kind of like uh, I was telling you the Blue Spirit or the Avatar and the Fire Lord or, you know, like, guy those episodes of avatar that were like top tier for me that i could just watch individually in a vacuum by themselves 
and be like completely satisfied because they're perfect episodes. That is how I feel about this episode. And I'm sure that many Korra fans will know which the other one is, but that's not so way down the line. Um, but uh, uh -huh. yeah, for me, I think the revelation 9.5 and a voice in the night, 10 out of 10 incredible episodes, especially back to back. Um, yeah, it, it really doesn't like, I don't want to say that the show peaked with this because there are other really, really good episodes down the line, but like <laughs> this, this was the episode that like clinched it for me. I'm like, I am watching the rest of this series. Like, you know, the, the first two episodes yeah. that came out together, obviously they were really good, but this episode was the one where I was like, I am fully invested now. I want to know everything that happens. I want to follow these characters. I want to know what the villain's like ultimate goal and backstory is and all that. Like I was fully invested mm -hmm. by this episode. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I, I would 10 out of 10. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's even not even fair to say, well, the show peaks with these because, I mean, bearing in mind that I, you know, in uh, season, um, what is it, season two of Avatar with the library, um, mm -hmm. for me, that was like a huge 10 out of 10 episode for me. Mm -hmm. And it's right in the middle of the series, you know, <laughs> right. Like, right, almost exactly in the center of the series for me. Um, exactly. And so, I mean, I totally relate to having an episode that is not a finale um and uh i think it only for me again you rate this with the benefit of hindsight and years of re-watching it i'm mm -hmm. really excited now going forward seeing how what the what the show does next as far as is it going to top this is the emotional impact going to be you know stronger by the finale because with an episode so good they've really got their work cut out for them to top it and so there's a lot of intrigue with the fact that legend of korra was sort of initiated as a one season that makes mm -hmm. me go wow they're really gonna shoot the works <laughs> with season one they've really aiming for a big finish and it's not that far away so i'm yeah. very excited <laughs> Absolutely. I cannot wait to see your reactions to, or I guess as the story unfolds, what you're going to think of all of it. And which which ship I will be extremely disturbed by next. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's plenty of options. Do it. All the ships. Bring all the ships into port. I can take it. I can take it. I... More. <laughs> More. More. <laughs> That's all for today. To all of our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode, so feel free to leave a review or comment, follow the podcast, give us a good rating, and all that good stuff. You can find us on Twitter at Millwood and Micah, and please follow our Instagram at Millwood and Micah Podcast. Thanks again, and we'll be back in the next episode.